0: Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you today from the Bob and Ray Institute's luxurious skybox at the top of the Oli Olsen Stadium here on the beautiful Hoopal campus. Before the big game between Huxley University and USND at H, we're talking about the intriguing find of a Middle Kingdom tomb filled with New Kingdom garbage at the Temple of Hatshepsut at Deir al Bahri in Egypt. Any time a temple throws out its garbage, archaeologists will be swarming like flies and are prone to ask questions like, what is this garbage, and what makes it so special? Who decides what's garbage anyway? Apparently not visitors to the temple whose offerings were promptly thrown out. What is a temple economy anyway, and how do goods circulate, and how much of it relies on the clever location of the temple's gift shop? Okay. So now, now that we've fetched for an hour about about health. Let's uh, let's get right to the to the lightning round. And I, I had to give this a lot of thought. It was this took me like a couple of minutes. Um and there's a point to it. Most memorable recent garbage experience. Ooh. Wow. There's okay, so well, we have we have a Miss Mary Douglas on the phone calling from Cambridge to talk about good garbage and bad garbage. but you guys could go first.. <laughs> huh. All right, I'll go first. I'll go, go, go first. first. <clears throat> Thanksgiving. Had a turkey denuded the turkey of the meat? <laughs> put the turkey in a bag, put it in another bag, put it in the garbage, put it outside in the can. Come out the next morning, the raccoons had knocked over the can, mm. opened up the garbage, <laughs> and torn up what's left of the turkey carcass, left it on the ground. I laboriously bundled it all up, <laughs> put it back in the can. Same thing happened the next day. <laughs> I think they left a note saying, you know, get some new stuff in your garbage, man. We're quite disappointed. They're
1: right. I mean, the fact that they don't have opposable thumbs and they're able to do all that stuff, yeah, real <laughs> testament to mammalian survival
2: very yeah yeah yeah
0: garbage garbage
1: all
2: right, here's one on the sort of There's- social social anthropology side of things um, so so last week was Christmas this week is is coming up as New year's and um, the garbage schedule and the recycling schedule is all off and it's combined and you have to check the little calendar boxes very very carefully to see what's what. And I missed I missed garbage right after or right before Christmas, I guess. And then it, you know piles up for a week, and then you have to take out several cans worth. And um, it's very disconcerting, and it has to do with complex society and government organization, and that's all.
0: Just throw it into the street. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the raccoons do. That's true. I don't. I can't think of a single thing. Wow, really? Oh well, there and there we come to the point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the naturalization of garbage in our psychology and let's let's get mary douglas in on the on this <laughs> um yeah we don't even think about garbage that's well, i think I, it, I, no i think about it a lot you, <laughs> you know, can't i remember it, it i don't have any
1: personal anecdotes but, but you, you, do you live in a building where you can like just
2: take it down the hall and, and throw it down a chute whenever you want to? Or? Not only
1: not only do I not live in one of those buildings, okay. that doesn't exist in Knoxville. That doesn't exist outside of the Northeast. Okay. Um because that only exists in true urban living. Right. Of course, there's no such word as true, but in urban living at its most. <laughs> but I just there was just an article about how Europe is reconsidering its position on burning garbage. You know that for the last, you know, since post-World War II, Europe has decidedly, decided has decidedly decided burned garbage to get rid of it. And the United States, we um, uh, landfill garbage, oh. right? Right. And that these are two very different approaches and positions to garbage, but that the EU is now reconsidering burning because all of their metrics on the uh, quality of the air coming out of their incinerators are wrong, apparently, or inaccurate, or not as good as they thought it was and how it's damaging the environment. But of course, Europe has no place to bury their garbage. So um, that's going to be an interesting thing to think about going forward. And of course, all first world countries, if we can still use that word or term, um, paid you know non non-developed countries to take their worst kind of garbage right right um, so garbage is a huge issue uh, in going forward and garbage of course is all about sustainability and um, you know clearly we've never had a sustainable nothing in the West nothing in the Western mental template has ever been based on sustainability so.
0: Well, but I think you could argue that that um, nothing in the ancient Egyptian um, mental template. See, that was pretty clever. That was very uh, clever. Yeah. Very that was um, very well done. You know, the whole. Well, let's leave the, the the larger sustainability question aside. But okay. uh, we can come we, back to that. We, we can come back to that. But you know, the, and also let's let's say two cheers for um, ancient people throwing out their garbage. Wow. Cause then we'd otherwise we'd be we'd have to do one of these, you know, healthcare slash Beatles songs that we've been listening to podcasts. And maybe we would get more listeners. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, in season two, we're changing the format up. <laughs> yeah. Well, archaeologists do love garbage. We appreciate garbage. It is garbage. Right. It's all garbage. It's all about garbage. Right. Dead right. people's garbage keeps us keeps us in business, and but this in this particular case, the
1: should we say what we're talking about?
0: We probably should say what we're talking about. Well, you know, our, our listener knows that eventually we get around to <laughs> the crux of the biscuit, like this. Right, uh, garbage inside a Middle Kingdom tomb below um, the Hathor temple, a Daryl Bahri that's filled in with New Kingdom garbage, including a lot of votives and stuff. So it's like official temple garbage. It's right. It's specialized garbage, not not your everyday (laughs) raccoons (laughs) getting into the turkey carcass uh, kind of garbage.
1: It's a very special kind of garbage. Exactly. It's the garbage of of, uh, the gods. It's the garbage of the gods. It's It's what devotees uh, offer up. And yeah. uh, everyone quickly realizes that there's no room for all this nonsense and we've got to put it someplace. Right,
2: right, right. And that was one thing that came to mind immediately. This is being discussed as a garbage dump, but it's really, it's not like you're finding animal bones and fish bones, I don't think. Um, we'll have to wait for the final report to come out. No, I
1: don't I don't think it is. It, didn't yeah, say it sounds like it's
2: that. all votive type stuff, religious type stuff. And, and you, you mentioned the Hathor temple, and yes, but it's associated with Hatshepsut's mortuary complex. Should right. also throw that
0: in, right? And we should we should note, for the sake of completeness, that this was an area that was was sort of sensed but avoided by two previous excavations over the past right. hundred years, and it was only cleaned out now to prevent um, a collapse of this underground underground area, right? So, well, the- sort of reluctantly addressing this garbage right yeah. i mean the two previous expeditions probably looked at this big massive
1: rubble right and and said
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly We're stick with the temple thank you exactly, exactly. right, we'll, right. We'll go with this big monument
2: well, that speaks a lot to the the evolution of the discipline. You know, 100 years ago, we cared about the big monuments, and now we care about the garbage.
1: Well, I would argue that we still care about the big monuments. And okay. You can go on any archaeology website, podcast, Twitter feed, and all you see is museum-quality goods. No one ever talks about anything else. So, you know, there's except a reality. Us. Except that well, well, we talk about, well, we talk no, about.
0: No, we do we both. We do, we, we do it all. <laughs> One of the articles that I read about this uh, actually used the the phrase "precious rubble." Oh, <laughs> well, that's a good phrase. It is a good phrase. I got to work that into conversation um, somehow. But, I think you uh, just did. Yeah, <laughs> it
1: sounds like Barney Rubble's second daughter. <laughs> precious, <laughs> right? Good one. Bam Bam and Precious. That's very good. Yes, the Rubbles. <laughs>
0: yeah all right well i don't want to start riffing on that because that's gonna (laughs) that's gonna so but this is this is special garbage it's not your everyday garbage which i think we have been we've had more direct um experience with over the years Right. right you know the the quotidian garbage the fish bones the the you know disposable the disposable drink containers and
1: Right. Pottery shirts, fish bones, broken things. But this is all um, uh, votive offerings, figurines uh, for, uh, presumably for Hathor. Right. And um, they were, they were probably, they probably resulted in this redistribution because the, the Hathor chapel got filled with these things on a regular basis and the priests, you know, rolled up, rolled up a wheelbarrow, filled them up with, <laughs> by the shovel full, told some young, you know, acolyte priest to be, you know, <laughs> go, go dump this someplace where no one will notice, where no one will see the, the fact that they the recently deposited, votive as being disposed of,
0: um, because we need more room, space, the yeah. final frontier. All right. It yeah. says, it, it, it suggests something about the temple economy that (laughs) (laughs) there's just all this crap coming in yeah there's no place to put it so you know the the intern or the junior priest is the is tasked with literally shoving it into empty empty spaces and
1: that's kind of an interesting thing when you think about it of egyptian temples versus temples in the rest of the near east um in that they weren't sacrificing animals Mm. um and so all of these sacrifices or all of these um, deposits are worthless, right? right? There's no money in it. So the, the temple institution can't make any money off of this stuff. Whereas in the Near East when an animal is brought or when commodities are not commodities are being brought undoubtedly to Egyptian temples, but certainly not animals for sacrifice. But in the Near East, when animals for sacrifice are being brought, that's to feed the you know the yeah. temple institution's staff that's true so and what, um, what can
0: you
2: do with a votive offering you can't like re, re-gift it because well, you know. maybe,
0: maybe you could because we don't know maybe maybe there was like a gift shop <laughs> well back he, and and the and the intern was like sorting the broken votives from the intact ones and you know just make two piles and we, the stuff we can resell yeah uh yeah. i don't know yeah. i mean Anthropologists don't seem to talk about this a lot, but. gently used votives. <laughs> <laughs> <Cutler>, Raw, Sobek, <laughs> we've got them all. <laughs> it was only gifted by a little old lady once. <laughs> once. And wow. uh, and she was guaranteed eternal life after that. <laughs> so. Uh, well,
2: the the possibility of of reuse um, aside. Um, JP, before we started, I think in a text, you you made a really interesting analogy. So maybe you want to make that analogy publicly uh,
1: to- to, uh, (laughs) I say nothing in public.
2: (laughs) To a a Jewish Geniza.
1: A Jewish Geniza, right. And and that's also a redeposition of originally holy things, originally uh, texts, originally scripture. Um, uh, Scripture was forbidden to be destroyed and had to be collected and uh, taken uh, was taken to synagogues where it was either buried or placed in the attic. And then that mentality expanded from scripture to anything written in Hebrew to anything produced by the Jewish community. And the most famous ex- example of that, of course, is the, um, what is it? The Ibn Isra synagogue in, in, in Cairo. Cairo. Yeah. In, in which they had this huge medieval Geniza um, that was eventually, uh, discovered or rediscovered or found by Solomon Schuker in the late 19th century, who recognized it as an extraordinary trove of historical data. I guess some of the stuff was appearing in the uh, antiquities market in in uh, in Cairo, and yeah. he followed it up to find out where these medieval texts or snippets were coming from. Found the Cairo Geniza, and immediately scooped everything up and shipped it to Cambridge and jt and and jewish theological seminary yeah they got yeah. a
0: little bit yeah they
1: got i think they have a quite a bit and um and there's a wonderful book also on, on that cairo geniza that also it's not precious rubble but it's um uh what's the name of it it's a great book i'll think of the title at some okay. point um and so that that's another tradition of what to do with sacred material right. and of course there's another jewish tradition of the western wall in which um, <clears throat> adherence to the faith would place notes in the cracks between the stones in the western wall making right. that it would be a more direct connection to, uh, to their god and uh, of course they ran out of room yeah. so now there's a little squadron of custodians who remove who periodically <laughs> remove all of the notes I, and I
2: assume put them in a geniza right I assume,
1: right they certainly don't burn them
2: yeah, because they've got,
1: in, like, God's name all over them, I would. Right, like they sure. landfill them. So this gets back to this issue that the sacred trash from antiquity, whether it's medieval or whether it's from the second millennium BCE, is landfilled as opposed to burned or destroyed, permanently destroyed. Yeah. And that You know, that is something that is still under discussion and what you do with all this for different reasons. Now we do it for environmental and for, um, uh, you know, Um, uh, economic reasons, but in the past, it was done uh, for religious reasons.
2: Yeah. And, and it's, and it's also very practical because you're running out of room. So you got to do something and yet you can't, you can't, uh, you can't just throw it away because it's all votive offerings. It's, you can't throw anything
0: to do with your God. Well, so here's, here's my question though. Um, You know, Favissa you know, repositories for burying sacred objects are known from all over the ancient world in every in every time and and place. Um, But did the people who were contributing these offerings know that their gifts were going to end up in a hole somewhere and not in the temple. I don't think they did, because I
1: think that there was a great deal of, well, we don't, you know, this is always a big question, what the ancients really believed in, right? How devout they were, how much they believed all of this stuff. Um, and, you know, in the, in the archaeological and historical interpretation, I think there's a real bending over backwards to suggest that they were all true believers. I reject that because I can't believe that there weren't, the same there wasn't the same kind of cynicism or disbelief in in the past that there is in the present right but if they were faithful believers i think that they believed that this stuff was you know in working in perpetuity and being stored properly
2: I think today, people would be very upset if they knew that the notes they're putting in the Western Wall were being periodically removed. I think people don't think about that aspect.
1: You don't Um, think people know that? I think. I I think think now that they've listened to
0: us talk about it. (laughs) I think 12 people in Belgium know it now. (laughs) I I think there's a a much greater awareness uh, among people because every single year before I think before um, Rosh Hashanah, there's an article in you know all in Israeli newspapers saying oh, it's that time of year again when you got to clean out all the <laughs> yeah. little all those notes. Right. And um, <clears throat> so yeah, you know maybe there uh, there uh, there are undoubtedly people who are unaware of this and who would be who would be shocked.
2: I think maybe but, the people who are writing the notes are not the one who are reading the article.
0: Uh, (laughs) all right so you can you know if anybody of you have written in notes and are unaware of this please please let us know and we'll have you on the show next week well let's redirect a little bit back to the back to
1: this egyptian this egyptian temple uh uh bakri um so we have firstly it's a it's a the size of this rubble is is quite huge it's a lot of stuff And um, that speaks to just how much, as Alex said earlier, just how much um, of, uh, you know, uh, how many of these votives are being routinely and regularly deposited. But I thought the other interesting thing about this, the reporting of this, is that this particular Middle um, Kingdom tomb was open in the New Kingdom. Yeah. Um, Now, I, I suspect that they mean it was open to the priests, not open to these devotees who are bringing. And that's another question. Are people bringing these um, votives directly to Dir al Bakri or are they giving them to officiants outside of the temple? I, mm-hmm. I assume, I guess probably out, right? I would say outside of the temple and then they're brought into the temple.
2: That's a good question. I mean, how we don't really know, I don't really know how worship would work um, in terms of this beautiful, huge <laughs> monument.
1: <but. laughs> I think people know, Rachel. I don't well, think the two of us now. I'm pretty sure we know. now.
2: <laughs> okay. No, you're right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Uh, I don't either. Would, would the hoi polloi be able to just walk into the temple? And would they be able to go up maybe to the first level or to the second level? Or is it just the priests? Maybe, again, people do know this. I don't know this.
1: I don't think they could walk into any. I think that they could assemble at the bottom level. I don't think they could go any higher because already in one of those first levels are all the trees. Right. Shepsut is planting that she brought in from, from, you know, the Horn of Africa and everywhere else. <laughs> right. And I don't think she wants regular hoi polloi getting around those trees.
0: That's probably true. So there were, there were just probably baskets outside the, the temple right. and you, know, you just toss your little votive into the right. basket and you say your. Thing for good health, or you know, uh, uh, you know, blessings upon whomever, and then you go away. And then once a day, the priests come and they empty the stuff into a big hole in the ground, and uh, or they sort them into into resale. And maybe that's what they were doing because they're, at least in terms of votives, amulets, were were amulets, and uh, figurines and stuff. There's a whole production, production, consumption, disposal cycle. Right. Uh, that that uh, if you were if you were a clever priest, <laughs> you, would, you would be part of that. Right. Uh, so, right. If
1: you were a clever priest, you had your family making the votives right. and mm-hmm. you're you're selling
0: them or dispensing of them and getting something in return. And then, yeah. Right. And as you're yeah. walking out of the temple, having deposited your votives, you walk past the gift shop that's selling votives. So right. you pick up another yeah. votive. Yeah.
1: I don't think they were <laughs> being perfect crime. I don't think they were being regifted though, because we have so many of these Egyptian temples that are stuffed yeah. to the gills with um, with mummified remains of small animals that are being produced specifically for redeposition in these temples. That if there was regifting going on, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't you know, have lots step. and lots of small temples to sew back filled with mummified crocodiles. That's true, yeah. Right, but
0: there are at least a lot of royal tombs in which there's pirated stuff from, from there, other tombs. There is and, that, yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, e- Egyptian stuff, e- egyptiaca that ends up overseas. <laughs> 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 Just, you know. We're giving <laughs> for you for using egyptiaca. <laughs> That's extra points for me. <laughs> um you know, a lot of the stuff that ends up overseas certainly in the early periods is just junk that's it's, right almost certainly swept out of pirated tombs and things. that's but, that's
2: a good point but one one other thing i want to talk about is you know so this this it's, it's not a favissa built or dug specifically well, maybe, maybe yeah. it
1: just explain or define what a favissa is so our our listener there's
0: knows, knows <laughs> a ritual depository right
1: yeah That was
0: easy. Uh,
2: um, um, No, but it was a middle bronze, I'm sorry, a middle kingdom, an early middle kingdom tomb, which is of course the early middle kingdom is when Daryl Bahri became a big deal site when an early middle kingdom king built his temple complex there. And so this is a tomb that was reused by the later part of the middle kingdom as a depository for these votives and continued to be used all the way through the new kingdom. So they're taking this tomb, which is a tomb of a person, right? <laughs> initially, and then yeah, there. Right. And they don't mention that. I didn't see that mentioned in. Um, well, I mean, it, it is a middle, an early Middle Kingdom tomb.
1: No, um, right, I, but who the who was buried in? Yeah, it.
2: I don't. I didn't notice that either. Um, I think, yeah, we we didn't do deep enough research to to find that. But some somebody was buried there. <laughs> um, and I'm also wondering how this tomb came to be reused like was it looted in antiquity and oh it's an open tomb and there's no body there it's a big hole in the ground now it's a big nice rectangular hole should we start throwing our stuff in there um, and that's, right. well, that's
0: the, I mean that's basically the rule of the rule of garbage is that if you have a hole you have to fill it with garbage. <laughs> it. Um,
2: right. But it's also interesting that you know it's a nearby convenient open hole but its significance as a tomb was completely not discounted by the time they start throwing their ritual garbage into it. I mean, unless it was a tomb of a priest who, you know, should be the caretaker of all this garbage. Well, I was
1: thinking, is it a tomb of some, of a, of a mm-hmm. royal person if they ended up at Bakri?
2: Could be, right. Somebody associated with the king somehow.
1: Right.
0: Okay, but... Or queen. Or queen. But But we know that, you know, for all the emphasis that Egyptians put on on mortuary behaviors and tombs and and creating these kind of mechanisms to transfer <clears throat> the deceased into the next world, they were um, they were robbing these things left and right. Right, and and uh, you know to to get the cool stuff like like the votives and and the figurines and the other crap and um, and recycling it. And so, at a certain point, the space the space becomes available; it becomes a hole. So you dump you dump garbage in it. Um, but you know, from a, from the point of view of of something being sacred, it's not so sacred, and uh, or or memorable in that sense, as well, opposed to the temple itself. The temple that's the the thing that always kills me about Egyptian temples is that you you know once once they're instituted to some dead. King or queen or noble or rich person—they're there in in perpetuity as a just sucking resources out mm-hmm. of the system, owning lands, owning people, blah blah blah, forever or as long. Or as...
2: sucking resources or providing employment.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, no, they do both. Oh, the liberal <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I mean, no, no, I think that's quite accurate. I mean, these—they become institutions, but then they do. They do. They're not just sucking resources because they create. They do create well valuable jobs. <laughs> they create right. They create yeah, yeah, the wealth. Re, wealth jobs. And That wealth. They use that wealth in certain ways and different ways. Yeah. Um, what takes out capital from the economy and is never replaced is the monumental building activity to dead people. Right. And
0: yeah. that's why
1: they stopped making pyramids at a certain point. Right. Right. Um, right. Because it, remo- it was it was such a bad economic policy. <laughs> to <Right. laughs> All the resources of your king, of your kingship to, to your- Piling mortuary. stones
0: on top of each other.
1: Right, whereas right. a mortuary temple, you know, has an institution and, you know, or creates an institution that does act, more actively participate in the economy.
2: Yeah.
1: As yeah. opposed to a pyramid.
2: There's also the whole thing about Daryl Bahri itself, which I mean, I suspect that there were these, these depositories for votive offerings everywhere. But, but And this one has just been found. But Daryl Bahri itself, it's like, so it's built by ben the II, the first big tomb complex, because he's trying to legitimate himself and do something big and exciting and new and different than anybody else. And then Hatshepsut comes along. And she needs to legitimate herself because she's a she and uh, she not um, hold,
1: hold it. It's not mm-hmm. just because she's a she every Egyptian king in one way or another has to legitimize themselves, either because they're they don't come from a proper lineage or like in the case of all the Moses they have to outdo their usually father.
2: OK, so you're, always, you're right.
1: Right. So yeah. I think that's And that's part of kingship or royalty writ large in the ancient Near East. They're all trying to continually either outdo somebody or legitimize themselves, which I think okay. work in the same way. In You're, terms you're of right, the but news. don't you
2: think Hatshepsut's a little bit different because she usurps the throne from her own stepson slash nephew, Thutmose III, and she also is she, and these two reasons together make it kind of more important for her. And, and I think that's why she chose yeah. Daryl Bahri. Like, How do Let's compare I, ourselves. Well, I
1: don't disagree. I think she had there, those motivations can <laughs> definitely be ascribed to her. But I, I will say this, because she had a pretty peaceful reign. Um, I think that there was a great deal of stability at the time, and secondly, right. I, I think that there was a, I think she was very politically savvy in that she didn't usurp, but she kind of siphoned off. <laughs> you know, she had this situation in which her 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 nephew son? Well, ne- yeah, nephew stepson, I believe. Nephew stepson. Her nephew stepson. This is like out of a Jerry Springer show. Her nephew <laughs> stepson was too young and didn't have he personally didn't have the gravitas, but more importantly, his handlers didn't have the gravitas yeah. to challenge her because she was able to adeptly you know, collect power and maintain power but within enough Political and religious norms that she was successful. She right. didn't, so she didn't upset the apple cart. She just sort of nudged it around.
2: <laughs> that that's true. That's very true. Um, regardless, my point was going to be that Daryl Bahri is a very particular site because because she did choose it purposefully next to this older, um, also huge but not as huge as hers monument built by a previous king. Um, which I know has nothing to do with this particular Favissa, except
1: it's, interest, it's an interesting site. Right, right. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible site, right? Because it's also stunningly, it, the environmental setting is stunning. It's sort of in this you know, natural niche oh, it's within sort of the
0: bowl thing. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's like Red Rocks. It's like Red Rocks, <laughs> like, right, Red Rocks. exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> it's quite stunning. Did they have um, performances
0: there? I wonder. Say so what? Did they have performances? AIDA. <laughs> Before that. <laughs> they, were,
1: they were constantly constantly doing <laughs> AIDA over and over again. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. And there's also an, a sort of a strange piece of news that came out that is sort of a bookend to this piece. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and that is, that a marble sarcophagus lid from the Roman period was found in a modern garbage dump in Ashkelon yeah oh. it's like two and a half tons or <laughs> yeah something like that and <clears throat> and it's just a, you know once again once again sacred oh and by the way the name of that book on the chiiroogenese is sacred trash and okay. and it's a it's a really delightful book and I I heartily recommend it. It's a very quick uh, read and it's, it's a lot of fun. But um, this is a very interesting kind of thing because, um, in this case, uh, uh, a piece of antiquity is found in a mar- modern gar- garbage dump um, where it was deposited for what reason? There's a crazy reason because it, authorities think that the lid was stolen from a construction site and discarded at an unauthorized dump site in Ashkelon. Mm-hmm. So what we have here is an ancient version of um, Alice's restaurant. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> is, is that where this is going?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Right. But um, uh, let's just hope that they took uh, enough eight by 10 color glossy pictures <laughs> exactly. of it to document the crime.
1: But that's pretty amazing <laughs> um, that a two and a half ton marble sarcophagus lid is found from a modern day garbage dump
0: yeah no that is Well, oh, it says something about not wanting to get caught red-handed <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs>
0: and, and and also where where does one put a two and a half time <laughs> <Right. laughs> something it's probably not the sort of thing that you can just throw it throw a sheet over right in your, in your garden no if
1: you put it someplace on the golf course in caesarea no one would blink <laughs> right. <laughs> right
0: you have to sort of sneak in with a flatbed truck and roll it off or just, yeah just pay off the right
1: people I and mean, I think you can do it in, the, in the, you know during during lunchtime
0: yeah. right well it well, says something about this... the changing nature of garbage right mm-hmm.
1: well
2: there's a lot to say about garbage um but but speaking of this the stuff that came out of the, the actual artifact should we just talk a little bit about what they are. So they are votive um, figurines, uh, clay vessels, cow figurines. A lot of it is our um, Hath- Hathor figurines. Um, so should we talk about, you know, Hathor?
1: Well, it sounds, like, say, it sounds like you're <laughs> you're mooing to talk about Hathor. <laughs> so-
2: well, she's an important Egyptian yeah. goddess, uh, who later was kind of a little bit, at least in, in terms of an injury, combined with ISIS, but that's much later. Um, and she's a goddess the of what? what? The good ISIS. <laughs> the good ISIS. The good ISIS, the good thank you, right? Um, she's associated with, I think, the sky, maybe an aspect of the sun and <laughs> with fertility. Um, so that's always, you know, a, a good aspect to think about. Um, I don't know quite where we can go with that, but uh, but you know why are they worshiping Hathor here? I guess they're worshiping Hathor well, they, everywhere. But...
1: Everywhere, yeah. I think Hathor was was a you know a very well
0: respected, <laughs> well known goddess. Right. She was voted in like the top ten for for god and, gods and goddesses in Egypt for years and yeah, years. there you go. One um, poll after poll, they right, they right. worshipped her till the cows came home. Oh, very good, very good. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be here all week. Don't forget to try, try the veal. <laughs> Don't try the beef. Oh my god!
2: Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, Okay, but you know, if we're not finding Osiris figurines.
0: They're not finding- that could be in the next tomb. Could be. All we know. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's, uh,
1: but, but Hathor had it. I mean, there was a Hathor chapel in the yeah. Dir al-Bakri complex, which is a huge complex. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know what other chapels there were there, but you know, that gets into the whole <clears throat> landscape of Egyptian religion and you know, what gods and goddesses are are associated yeah. with each other and, you know, where they, where they sit in the firmament and how right. each particular deity um, interacts with all of these gods. So, you know, that's a whole other um, right. very complicated kind of um, situation.
2: That's, right. that's so true. That's and I'm not qualified to do that.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. As opposed to us being qualified to. <laughs> yeah. I'm only a green belt to <laughs> <laughs> the rest right. of us.
2: But uh, yeah, yeah. No, but, but the fact that there is a Hathor chapel in the vicinity is an important point.
0: Right. And yet her stuff got thrown out. Yes. I'm not mm-hmm. venerating uh, the, the the assistant priest who was in charge of tossing the stuff. He's not venerating this this idol. Well, again,
1: but you, you said earlier, it's sacred trash. I mean, there is- a, <laughs> That's the good right, trash. They're not just throwing it away. I mean, they're not taking it out of Diar al-Bahri. They're not, you know, burning it they're not putting it in in some landfill you know way i mean there's plenty of desert they could you know all they had to do is make a left and they could have had all the desert they wanted but they didn't they put it in a very you know kind of conspicuous place actually they kept it close yeah they kept it close and they kept it real it's all right there yeah so if they had to you know if their constituency ever said hey what are you doing with all that stuff they could say, no, no, we're, you know, we, it was all only handled by the priesthood and it was put in a place that is still in the sacred, you know, special. Right. Right. It's still within the sacred realm. Right. It's not exactly being thrown out. It's just being stored. Right. And the same thing with the Geniza. It's like, you know, they would bury scripture. Well, that, you know, that's not all that sacred it's just keeping the stuff it's a ignoble way to go it's but it's very but,
2: still... but you bury human remains it's it's you know what do you do with this this body this vessel that contained the soul you can't just throw again, it away you get the two,
1: the two choices you can burn it or you can landfill it right though i guess now the tr- now increasingly we're composting humans true true um and and ultimately you know there is an economic you know, not to be, not to be too Marxist about this, but there is a real economic component to this because it's all about space. You know, it's all about um, space and and access to the most elite space. And what do you do with all this junk?
0: As yeah. opposed to the to the the fish bones and the the K F the buckets of K F C that are being thrown right. out of the windows
1: um, right. by
0: by the priests at the temple. Bari and uh, <clears throat> which I which I don't think we know too much about I mean no. I don't know too much about the right. actual the actual you know living economy let's right. call it the uh, mm-hmm. you know, subsistence economy because you can't chew on these can't chew on these votives no. um, and well, so
2: we you know where we do have the couple of workers villages near large-scale monuments they're not on top of the, you know, people are not living in the temples. Uh, I guess maybe some people
1: are. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is one thing uh, and none of us are Egyptologists or even play them on TV, but you know, where are the, not the elite elite, but you know, the priestly elite and their, and the huge staffs, where are they living? What are they eating? Where are they living?
2: Yeah, Yeah. why
1: don't we have their garbage? Um, And this is is a, a specific problem to Egypt. We don't have a lot of domestic stuff yeah. from Egypt. Um, and when we get it, you know,
0: it, it tends it, to be you know, very stratified, like right. Egypt itself. You have some right. workmen's villages or quarters.
1: Right. Or it, something. But this,
0: <clears throat> Poor schmucks who were building pyramids or who were, you know, making artisans who were making stuff. But it becomes then, disproportionately important in the
1: interpretive right. scheme or <clears> the archaeological throat> record throat> because we have so little and we know so little about them
0: yeah right. yeah that's true but we seem to have a lot of their votives were, <laughs> <laughs> i mean we we assume it's their votives that why why do
2: you assume that it's i mean people are like we said at the beginning people are handing the priests the stuff they're leaving their little baskets with hathor figurines sticking out from the top of maybe their fruit or or barley offerings and uh so the priests are taking it but the people might be like living Crocker in drugs. villages what
0: it's like cracker jacks you have to <laughs> right. you have to eat down to the prize right which is a little amulet right right uh, amulet uh, yeah. <clears throat> well i suppose that's i suppose that's a possibility a- again maybe the the two economies are embedded with one another in a way that we're not not seeing one is visible one is is invisible and all we are left is the prize with is the prizes from the cracker jacks yeah <clears throat> but um Who's bringing all these things? Yeah. Um, maybe
2: people just haven't yet excavated in the right place. Or maybe the Nile <laughs> inundation over the years has erased their settlements. But I don't know enough about Egypt.
0: Well, that, I, I, think, I think saying that, there, that people haven't excavated in the right place is sort of a truism that you can apply globally. Right.
2: Yeah, it's just like it's just like the reason we don't have archives coming from the Southern Levant.
0: That's right. (laughs) Next season, we're just going to dig like fifteen feet over in that direction. Keep keep looking for those archives (laughs) because
1: they're there, there, except that they're not. So one other thing I want to bring up is a a, a small little piece that recently came to my attention from from uh, the sports world from the NFL, oh, sh-
0: sh- is that oh, that's there, are,
1: right. there are two, um, there's a two brothers, one at the college level, one at the NFL level. One is named Amon ra St. Brown, and he has a brother, Osiris St. Brown. And um, I couldn't resist mentioning, dropping that little tidbit, uh, because it also just came, sort of appeared in in popular culture recently even though actually dates to 2018 but um for some reason it just showed up on some twitter feed um so Amun-Ra and Osiris are still with us except that they're playing football
0: right they're and they're probably at least the one who's in the NFL it can probably afford a celestial bark (laughs) to take him (laughs) from from east to west (laughs) with the sky Every, uh, every day, and uh, let's, hope that, uh, let's hope that his brother achieves the same success. Right,
1: well, I mean, if names <laughs> matter for anything, I would hope that Amun-Ra surpasses the achievements of Osiris. One, one would hope, right, <laughs> right.
2: Um, no, it's always good to see ancient Egypt not being a dead culture, but being a culture who lives on in the names of modern sports figures and other celebrities
1: would you ever had you ever thought of naming your children osiris or aminrah mm, no not those in particular but i'm sure, <laughs> but I'm sure we considered other ancient names
2: <laughs> definitely not osiris
0: yeah that's a good question osiris didn't come up yeah. um, <clears throat> okay final thoughts about uh, about garbage or or the site or sacred or precious precious rubble yeah. well, you know
1: just... old, old saying from from the uh, tech business Garbage in, garbage out.
2: That's I'll just new... say that this wasn't really a podcast about ancient garbage because then we'd be talking, well, you Arizona people would be talking about the garbage, the Tucson Garbage Project. There's a lot to say about anthropological literature regarding refuse. Um, so this wasn't it.
0: <laughs> nope.
2: So we can do that at a later
0: date. Right. Season six is going to be devoted solely to garbage. garbage. <laughs> so, all right, very good. Okay. Okay. Well, if that doesn't convince you to separate your paper and commingled recycling, then nothing will. So in the meantime, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator in residence at the Savannah Music Festival, for our theme music. We also thank our sponsor, the Brooks Locomotive Works of Dunkirk, New York, winner of the Gold Medal for Locomotive Excellence at the Chicago World's Fair of 1896. To get in touch, leave us a comment, or send us an email at this week in the Ancient Near East it's all one word at gmail.com, or send us a post- postcard it's a hard word at PO. box 1177, Boston Mass 02134.